0: On Sunday, I made a remark about how can you pray for our government if you're not going to use the means that God's given us to influence that government. Throughout the Bible, there are examples of God's people using civil government for their protection, for building God's house, for all sorts of things. A couple examples that I want to give you. When you pray, if God's given you the means to do something to help out your prayer request, you ought to be doing it. When David prayed for God to defeat the council of Ahithophel, what did David do? He sent Hushai. He was using the means that he had to assist his effort. When Jacob wrestled with God, with the angel, in order for the Lord to protect him from Esau, who was coming with 400 armed men, what did he do? he sent carefully spaced gifts in order to soften the heart of Esau before they ran into each other. In both of those examples, there was serious prayer. We often turn to Jacob wrestling with the angel as an example of prayer, but at the same time, Jacob was using the wits that God gave him to use the means that he had in order to bless that situation as well. When the Bible says, except the Lord build the house... They labor in vain at build it. Guess what? There are some builders. A house won't get built unless there's some builders. And when you're looking for a job, you don't just ask the Lord to give you a job without having a resume. We're supposed to do what we can. And those are some examples just to be thinking about why we vote and why we pray. And why that person wrote our website and asked, do we pray and vote, vote and pray, or pray then vote? And I said, we pray, vote and pray a whole lot more. Because it's the Lord that blesses the efforts. And we want to use the means that He's put right in front of us. It only takes a few minutes to go vote as we call upon Him. Tonight, let me have a few minutes of your time to think about the winds of politics. And I want to use Amos 4.13 to get started. Amos 4.13, For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind... And declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Amen. Amen. We have a God who is our Father, who is the God of hosts. He is the Lord in all caps. He creates mountains, he orders the wind, and he creates the wind and he forms the mountains, he knows the thoughts of man, and we want to put our trust in him. The winds of politics describe the changes that occur in governments of nations and the, government, the governments of the world. And they blow to and fro. For one season, they're blowing in this direction. For another season, they're in a different direction. It's true in our nation. It's true in all nations. We had an election last night. It was a huge swing giving the Republicans a great deal more control or influence in our government than had occurred just two years ago. So the winds blew for the Democrats two years ago. The winds blew for the Republicans last night. And we want to recognize where those winds come from and put our trust in the God that's behind them. From Kennedy to Nixon to Carter to Reagan to Clinton, and I mean these all respectfully, to the Bushes, to Obama, the winds have blown back and forth. Sometimes we look at certain aspects of their presidencies and it's hard to see a difference. But for some of the things that they stood for, there are significant differences. And it blows to and fro. Last night's change in the Congress of our nation was by God's sovereign choice. Brethren, the economic and financial future of our country is at risk. A bigger event took place than what took place last night. That bigger event started yesterday and ended today at 2.15 when the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee declared what they were going to do over the next one year. They're going to spend between 600 billion and 1 trillion that they don't have to transfer wealth from people who save money to people who borrow money. They are going to deflate, they are going to inflate our currency and deflate its value in order to reduce the dollar on the world markets in order to sell more of our junk to other countries. They are going to manipulate our economy by taxing us in the most subtle form of taxation called inflation. The the man who's promoted it the most over the last hundred years, John Maynard Keynes, said that only one man in a thousand can see the effects of inflation. It is a tax. Nobody was up in arms about that tax. In fact, they all wanted that tax. In fact, the stock market set a new high today for the year 2010 because of QE2. If you see QE2 in a newspaper, it doesn't mean the second version of the Queen Elizabeth ship. It means quantitative easing, meaning we're going to create money and flood the economy with it, thinking that we can revive the economy. All of that was said for only one purpose. It's the winds of politics, and God creates them. And God blows them. And I want you and your children to put your total trust in the God of heaven. He Amen. will take care of us. He has taken care of His people under every conceivable form of government you have ever imagined. From the, both testaments. And it's wonderful. Amen. How did Paul get an all-expense-paid trip from Caesarea to Rome that lasted about six months? Caesar paid for it. Did he have soldiers protecting him? Did he, did he dwell in his own rented house? When he got to Rome, on and on we could go. And I want to give you some of those examples, and I want to rejoice in it. Politics is an area where men often fear. But we shouldn't fear as Christians. What time I am afraid, I will put my trust in Him. Because our God, Jehovah of the Bible, creator and director of the winds, is our loving Father forever. And He is going to take care of us. Just like a father wants to take care of his children. You should know the following points I'm going to give you. But learning is by repetition, and faith is built by hearing the Word of God. So I'm just going to reel through some examples from the Bible, and let's rejoice that our God is in control. You should apply the doctrine to our own nation and the political winds lest we faint as we see things taking place and unless we turn to rebellion. We don't want to turn to rebellion. You know, we may be thankful for the Tea Party movie movement, even though we wouldn't participate in the Tea Party movement. If we see things that are being used by God to bring us a different form of government with a different emphasis, we'll thank the Lord no matter what means he chooses to use, whether it's a Nebuchadnezzar or a Pharaoh or an Abimelech. We don't care. Or Caesar that I just mentioned. We're just going to trust him. We're strangers and pilgrims in America. I hope that if if and when you say I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, that you understand that your allegiance to the flag of the United States of America is way down the list of priorities of your allegiance to the God of heaven and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of heaven. Because if the two ever come in conflict, guess which one we're going to obey? The Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Oh, brethren, we can go straight to our king's throne and obtain mercy to help in time of need. Amen. A throne of grace we have, indeed. Our God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is called in the Bible the King of Kings. That means all kings in this earth, from the beginning of the earth. And the first king that is mentioned in the Bible was Nimrod. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. All kings serve our king. And our king does whatever He wants to with all other kings. The Lord Jesus Christ is described in Revelation chapter 1 as being the prince of the kings of the earth. Turn to Revelation chapter 19 so you can see it in large print. I do love our King James translators. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16. I want to read to you. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the Lord Jesus Christ seen in, on his white horse in this 19th chapter of Revelation. So we rejoice in that. Amen. Now remember, as we, we want to take every one of these verses and quickly apply them to the United States of America in 2010. We have no king. We have a president. But now if the Lord Jesus Christ is King of Kings... A king has almost infinite authority greater than our president. Our president is held by checks and balances of a three-part governmental system that keeps him from doing his whims. You know, Nebuchadnezzar didn't have to worry about Congress legislating anything or the Supreme Court evaluating anything and making a judgment. He just did it. And that's a king, but God was his king. And we know what God did to that king, don't we? He put him out to pasture for seven years for the benefit of his people and to humble that man and to get himself glory. The Bible tells us that part of our worship is describing and and blessing and praising his power over kings. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20 and realize that when a man gets into an office, he's there because God put him there. We want to remember that God raises up kings and God puts down kings. Promotion doesn't come from the north, the south, the west, or the east. Promotion comes from the Lord. Amen. Promotion doesn't come from the tea party. And promotion doesn't come from you pressing the monitor face in your voting booth. Right. It comes from the Lord. And Amen. we want to we recognize that always. Because the Lord wants us to recognize it because He put it in His Word. Daniel chapter 2, and verse 20. Daniel answered and said... Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. Those are two good things to have, wisdom and might. And He changeth the times and the seasons, the winds of politics. He changeth the times and the seasons, He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, And knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. That is our God, that is our Father. No matter what we see happen, like last night and this morning, no matter what happens economically and financially to our country, as they make a transfer of wealth in this nation to confiscate it, to support the profligate spending habits of a federal centralized government. No matter what happens in the future, we're going to trust the Lord. Amen. Can he feed an Elijah with ravens? Oh, yeah. Can he? Yeah. Can he drop bread from heaven for his people for 40 years? We must believe all that. Amen. And never doubt it. Put our trust in him and see his hand in everything. The fact that the speaker, one, one speaker or leader of the representatives lost her job and one of the Senate kept his, was in God's perfect plan. Do you you, you understand that? Every one of those things that you look at, and some might frustrate you, and some might cause you to rejoice, the Lord made the choice in every single one of the cases. And we leave it there with Him. God controls and directs the hearts of kings. You know the verse well, but look at it. Proverbs 21 and verse 1. The king's heart is in the Lord's hand. The Lord takes control of a king's heart. And the Lord doing that is described throughout the Bible. Taking a king's heart and turning it whithersoever he will. We believe that. We rest in that. He's our Father. He's the God of the universe. He's the Prince of the kings of the earth. Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart. The apparatus inside a man that through motives makes choices and decisions is in the control of the Lord so much that He holds it in His hand as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever He will. An aerial view from an airplane, which even Solomon didn't have, unless the Lord gave it to him by inspiration, you can see rivers winding back and forth as they make themselves from a higher altitude to the sea. Back and forth, meandering back and forth. Remember? The winds of politics. Back and forth, meandering, but they're in the Lord's hands He turneth it whithersoever he will. Amen. He can harden kings' hearts. He can loosen kings' hearts. He can turn them to benefit his people. He can turn them to chasten his people when the cause and the case calls for it. Look at Psalm 105. Psalm 105. The winds of politics. The Lord is in charge of every one of them. Every change that we see and every change that we see in the future is under the complete control of our Father in heaven. Psalm 105 and verse 12, speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the land of Canaan, when they were but a few men in number, yea, very few, and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings, For their sakes. Can you think of two kings that he reproved? I need a name. Pharaoh Pharaoh got reproved for taking Sarah. Another king. Abimelech got reproved for taking Sarah. The Lord rebukes kings to preserve his people. And we want to remember that. The winds of politics. Think of poor Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At the end... When they finally made it down into Egypt, how many souls were there the largest number of the four numbers given in the Bible? Seventy-five. They were only 75 people at the end with Jacob's 12 sons. They were only 75. Very few in number, but the Lord protected them. You say, we're pretty few in number. And the other churches of the Lord Jesus Christ in this nation are pretty few in number. Enough. The Lord can still take care of us very easily. Nimrod was the first kingdom in the world. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. How did that kingdom turn out? How did the winds of politics blow there? They tried to make them blow. When they went into the polling place and the voting booth, they said they're going to build themselves a tower to heaven. They're not going to be spread abroad on the face of the earth. And what did God do? He confounded their languages and scattered them abroad on the face of the earth. So they left off their plans. The tower was unfinished. To their shame, their perpetual shame for us Bible believers. Because the Lord is in charge of all political events and circumstances. And we trust our Heavenly Father and we get a smile when we read about the Tower of Babel. We laugh. We love to think about the men on the winches with heavy stones being pulled into place. And all of a sudden they couldn't communicate clearly and the havoc that it wrought. Don't you get a smile? The Lord's in that business. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the king of kings. They did not accomplish their plan. So when you read something that this is their plan, and you, knowing the word of God, having more wisdom, you should, than most of the citizens of this nation, are able to understand that the consequences of that plan could affect us and our children and our children's children. But we understand that the Lord can confound their languages so that they can't bring to pass their devices. Thank you, Lord. And Keterliomer gathered together three other kings and marched 500 miles out of Mesopotamia to come, and he took Lot's family captive, along with the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. The winds of political change, a foreign power came in and took part of Abraham's family captive. Abraham only had 318 trained servants and a couple Canaanites. Remember, we use means, don't we? A couple Canaanites as confederates. Were they able to recover some of the stuff? Did they recover every single thing because God was with them? Brethren, read the newspaper and smile. What I just told you about the Federal Open Market Committee at 2.15 this afternoon, it's hard for me to smile. But I know that my God is in charge of it. We're going to be wise and prudent and moderate and the Lord's going to protect us. Except the Lord keep your savings. Your efforts to keep your savings are in vain. They'll get every last cent by devaluating the dollar to zero. You say, but I'll have gold. They'll confiscate your gold. You say, but I'll have guns and ammo. They'll confiscate that too with bigger guns and ammo. Don't put your trust in any of those things. Just use use those things and trust the Lord. As Oliver Cromwell would say, put your trust in the Lord and keep your powder dry. That's that's the attitude we ought to have. Be wise and prudent. And go plant vineyards and marry off our children and have children and pray for the peace of Babylon. That's what the Lord wants us to do. Pharaoh was the absolute king of Egypt. The winds of political change were blowing. Seventy-five went down from Canaan into the land of Egypt. Joseph went down there. God moved that king to dream some dreams, didn't he? It wasn't because he had anchovies on his pizza that night. God caused him to dream some dreams. And he dreamt. God promoted Joseph over all the land of Egypt and subsidized Jacob and his family in the best part of Egypt and blessed them to multiply greatly so that they were somewhere around 3 million souls. At least. They had 600,000 footmen. Now if you want to give them a whole lot more children, it could have been 13 million. They multiplied greatly. Go look at the number of years they were in Egypt to get that big. How does 75 turn into 3 million in 215 years? That's the Lord's blessing. The Lord took care of all that. And there's so much in the Bible about that event. And when we read Psalms and we read the book of Genesis and we see that event, it is there for for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That no matter what happens, the Lord's going to take care of us. Joseph had some bad things happen to him. The winds of political change and employment change in his life were pretty drastic. He was sold into slavery. He was convicted of attempted rape. He ends up in prison. He's forgotten there by someone who could have helped him. But he ends up on the throne. We trust the Lord. Right. And Jacob got the best land in all of Egypt for their profession. There was another pharaoh... He was absolute ruler of Egypt as well. He lost about three million people, the children of Israel. God exalted him to be the greatest king for only one purpose. Those poor Israelites, when they were working hard and their sign was coming up to God and they read the newspaper every day, had something else. Another picture of that Pharaoh in their face. I hope everybody's able to apply it to the year 2010 and understand exactly what I'm saying. You can look at that face you can read about their policies. The Lord God of heaven had raised a man up for one purpose. Exodus nine sixteen, Romans nine seventeen. Amen. To dash him and to drown him in the Red Sea. After he tortured him with ten plagues. After he robbed the wealth of the land of Egypt and gave it to his people to build him one fancy tabernacle and then temple with Egyptian gold. Praise the Lord. Believe those are that's one of the simplest Bible stories. And I hope that you'll remember it. God turned rods into serpents, water into blood. He put frogs in His bread pans, lice in His bed, flies in His palace, murrain in His cattle, boils on everyone. Hail, locusts, darkness, and the death of His firstborn. Then He got to die. In the Red Sea, thinking about it before He went. Do you all believe that Bible story? Are we reminded of it in the New Testament? I was reminded of it in the book of Psalms. Is it part of the worship of God to realize our Father is in charge of all these governments? Amen. By the time I was 15, I had read so many conspiracy books, I'd read the whole reading list for JBS. I like to read. Uh, you know, you can, you can get, fill yourself with so much fear of events going on, and you forget God's completely in charge. We can't do a thing about it anyway. So the knowledge of their political intrigues doesn't help anything. And you knowing it doesn't help anything. You knowing the Word of God better helps a whole lot. Amen. Because then you can just mock it. The Lord's in charge. I wonder what He's doing. As this trillion hits the market in the next year, I wonder what He's doing. I wonder if He's going to get rid of the mortgages of all the children of God in this nation. You know, they're going to pay Him back with cheap dollars. Just get rid of them. That's what happens. Just be wise and prudent and moderate in all that you do financially. We don't know what's going to happen. We're just going to watch and see. We're going to trust the Lord. We're going to pray for the peace of Babylon. Amen. And we're going we're to act on our confidence. This is really my, one of my finishing points, but I, we are not only going to pray for the peace of Babylon, we're going to act like we believe our prayer. Meaning, we're going to let our children get married. We're going to go to work. We're going to build houses. We're going to buy investments. We're going to do whatever and we're going to trust the Lord. Because when you do that, the Lord knows why you're doing it. You're doing it because you trust Him. And if you're trusting Him when you do something like that, He'll protect you. Sihon, king of the Amorites. Did God harden his heart to come in battle against Israel? Is that mentioned in the book of Psalms? Yes, it is. Because God wants you to remember that. How about Og, king of Bashan? Did he sleep on a 13-foot bed? Was he taller than Wilt Chamberlain? He slept in a 13-foot bed. Yeah, the man was the man was big. Right. Is he rem- remembered in the book of Psalms as a king that the king of kings took care of yeah. for the poor people of Israel as they came out of Egypt? Yes, yes, and yes, and thank you, Lord. How about Balak, king of Moab? He didn't want to come against Israel in battle because he saw what happened to anybody that tried to fight him. So he tried to hire Balaam. How did that wind of politics work out? There was a lot of wind yeah. out of an ass's mouth and then of another ass's—I mean, another prophet's mouth. When did he blessed Israel, yep. let me die the death of the righteous. Oh, the numbers of Judah and Joseph and Israel are going to be countless as Balaam stood up there and blessed. Can you imagine what you would have felt like if you were in your tent in Israel and you knew that this prophet was hired by Balak to curse Israel and you knew that he was up there on that mountain and there were sacrifices. You could see the smoke curling up into the sky and the papers and the internet and the televisions telling you about it. And it turned to your blessing. Because the God of heaven creates the wind and He forms the mountains and He knows the thought of man and beast and He protected them. Brethren, was there a whole generation that didn't believe what I'm preaching that knew it? Was there a whole generation that came out of the land of Egypt that saw the things that I've just told you about and had them read in their homes? And they failed to believe it. And what happened to them? They died. They wandered around in circles for 40 years in the wilderness. Let that not be true of any of us. Believe it absolutely. How do we believe it? Do what I just said. Let's let's let our children get married. Let's have children. Let's invest. Let's build businesses. Let's work hard. Let's save. Let's be moderate. Let's be balanced. Let's be prudent. And the Lord will take care of the rest. If we get paranoid and become one of these fear-mongering survivalists, that's what Israel was. How are they going to survive? We're going to go back to Egypt. We don't want to go fight that battle. So they lost God's best for their lives. We're survivalists. you know how we're going to survive? God's going to take care of us. He's going to open up His hand and protect us in the palm of His hand. He's going to take care of us. Do you know how sad it was in Israel when Jehoram, Ahaziah, Jezebel, and Ahab's 70 sons were in power? Do you know what it was like to read the news? How many hours did it take to get rid of all four? No, 73. Excuse me. My math just slipped. If you have 70 sons of Ahab and you have Jezebel and Jehoram and Ahaziah, that's 73. Did the Lord take them all out with one man named Jehu? Amen. And did He do it with zeal? Yep. Did He drive His chariot furiously from one assassination to the next? Did the Lord say you did beautifully in executing everything that was right in my eye? Do you know what you would have thought one day or one week or one month before that? No way. No way. They're entrenched in power. The Democrats are ruling this country. I'm not... I'm not... I'm just using that as an example. Look what the Lord can do. Let's rejoice in that. Was Sennacherib a proud king? Did he blaspheme the God of heaven? Was there a slight military setback outside the walls of Jerusalem? 185,000 men dead. And that glorious man went home and went in to ask Nisroch, What happened? (laughs) What happened? How did I lose 185,000 men when I didn't even get into battle? What happened to him there? His sons killed him. When the Lord laughs last, he laughs best. And you ought to laugh with them. Do you know where does it tell us in the Bible to laugh with them in the matter of him dealing with kings? Where is that found? Is it's in a Psalm. You got 150 options. Two. Psalm two. The Lord shall laugh and have them in derision. Amen. What should kings of the earth do? They should kiss the son, lest he be angry and they perish from the way when his wrath when his wrath is kindled, but a little. Do you believe all that? Is your heart full of that? Can you go to work tomorrow and not worry about a trillion dollars hitting our economy? Having a Hindu our governor? Don't tell me she's a Christian. Do you care? I don't care. I trust the Lord. He's my governor. He's a governor of the governors. Right. He's a king of kings and lord of lords. Nebuchadnezzar, don't you love Daniel chapter 4 and all that it has to say? That's Nebuchadnezzar telling the world that there's a God that was greater than he was and a king above him. And what a lesson. What a wonderful chapter that we should all feed ourselves and our children with. How about Cyrus? You've heard about Cyrus? Eric reminded you about Cyrus again recently. Cyrus. Who would have thought that Babylon could be overthrown? No one in the world did. You couldn't look at Babylon and say, well, it could go down if they did this and this and this. No, there wasn't anything you could do to take Babylon down. But the Lord did it in one night. Do you believe that? Trust it. Live. Love the Lord. Love your spouse. Love your children. Train your children. Let's make this church all that it can be and let's not worry about Washington, D.C. We're going to pray for them and the Lord's going to take care of them because we're going to pray for them. Persian and Greek kings. We had a presentation here a few months ago about Alexander the Great. and You saw the kings of the north and the kings of the south briefly mentioned. the Lord's taking care of them. The kings of the earth stood up against the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord used them to fulfill Scripture. Jesus had to die a Roman death so that He wasn't stoned. He was hung on a cross because the Scripture said He's going to be hung on a cross. A Roman soldier pierced His side with a spear because it says He shall be pierced. When the Lord was finished with the Romans, and He wasn't finished with the Romans in 30 A.D. He was finished with the Romans more like 70 A.D. after He had destroyed the Jewish nation, ripped down that temple, and leveled that city. Then did He take care of the Romans with the Visigoths and others that came out of Europe? The Lord's King of the earth. The kings of the earth raised themselves up against the Lord Jesus Christ according to His determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. Herod Agrippa I abused the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he die? Acts chapter 12. Was it pleasant that he have his children around his bed laughing with the gods of the Romans? Or was he eaten of worms? You say, but he threw Peter into prison. Yes, and where was Peter a few hours later? At a surprised prayer meeting, at an unbelieving prayer meeting. Oh Lord, thank you. Look at Roman, look at Revelation. Excuse me, Revelation chapter 17, 17. I'm finishing Revelation 17, 17. There's so many verses. What a Bible study to get a list of the kings that the Lord took out of the way for His people and use it for about a month. You say, are there that many? Listen, there were 31 kings that Joshua took in his first set of battles in Canaan, and they're listed and named. 31, that's one day of the month just for that particular section of Bible history. Revelation seventeen, 17. I've shown this to you before, but I want you to delight in it. Verse 17, the ten minor nations of Europe upon the fall of the Roman Empire, God hath put in their hearts to fulfill His will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. The small minor nations of Europe gave their kingdom to the Pope of Rome to defend that church and build that church. It was called the Holy Roman Empire for a while after the demise of the Roman Empire. But I want you to notice why their hearts agreed together that they would give. Kings don't generally give their kingdoms up. Why did these ten kings agree with each other? Hey, do you want to give your kingdom up? I think I'm going to. I want to too. Let's ask Joe. Do you want to give up your kingdom? Yeah. Let's give up our kingdoms. To the beast. This is true. Okay? Tomorrow you read something in the paper. That the European community is going to come together, or the Japan and China or China and the European community are going to come together and do some battle against the U.S. dollar. There's currency wars going on right now in this world because they have to protect their inflated, garbage currencies against each other. So they're all seeing who can get their currency devalued the most without looking obvious. We look obvious because we have to. What if if you see some unity tomorrow in the world? You read about it, or it's next week, or it's next month, or it's next year. Here's unity. God has put in their hearts to fulfill His will. And to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until, until, until the words of God be fulfilled. Until He's done using them. Thank you, Lord, for such wonderful truth in your Bible. God puts whomever He wants in office, including the basest of men. Daniel chapter 4. Don't you be surprised when you see some basemen in high office. God's done it before, and He says He does it to prove that He gives it to whomsoever He will. God has an army of angels assisting and resisting the world's governments and the world's nations that you can't see. Just remember that we have angels that are mighty in power, and they come to help us. Michael helped the church of God of the Old Testament. Michael helps the church of God of the New Testament. Don't you worry about any confederation or any nation, how big it gets. There are angels protecting us. I hope that you can remember from previous teaching, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, verses 20 and 21, about the prince of Grisha and the prince of Persia, meaning angelic spirits behind them. Believe that. Pray for the peace of Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. Jeremiah 29, 4. A wonderful passage. This tells us, How to put into practice 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, which we'll read next. Jeremiah 29, 4. I've taught you this before. This is how we face the future. Jeremiah 29, 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Is our situation somewhat better than that? Yes. It's somewhat better than being captives, dumped, into a foreign land, having to start over from scratch. Build ye houses, verse 5, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that she may be increased there, not diminished. We don't want to shrink. Let's grow ourselves from the inside out, and seek the peace of the city "...whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace." So we pray for the peace of the United States of America so that we can have peace in it, and we can get married, and we can have children, and our children can have children, and we can build our family trees, and we can plant vineyards and build houses and live in them. And we're not even in a foreign land. This is what the Bible tells us. I am so. I wish I'd have been told this when I was in single digits instead of hearing some of the things I did so that I was sleeping with knives and guns and afraid of communist Burt jumping through my window and Cubans taking me and whatever they were going to do to me. You know, full Fidel Castro. Listen, the the New York Police Department could have knocked out the Cuban army. What in the world? We didn't try to take care of Cuba. We put our trust in the Lord. And you know, these verses give peace. And they're for our prophet. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I said I was finishing. You just didn't know what I meant. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. This passage, coupled with Jeremiah, tells us what to do in the way of prayer. 1 Timothy 2, 1. I exhort therefore. This is Paul exhorting Timothy to exhort the churches that he taught. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications. Begging, prayers, intercessions, going to God on behalf of someone else, and giving of thanks be made for all men. All kinds of men, especially this kind. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That is praying for the peace of Babylon so that we can have a quiet and peaceable life for ourselves and for our children. You know, back in the 60s, we thought the world was coming to an end. Detroit, Newark, Watts, California, they were burning to the ground. This is back in the 60s. They took away our silver back in the 60s. They took away the gold standard internationally in 1971 with Richard Nixon. That's a long time ago. And we've just continued to crank along, because the Lord must have found ten righteous souls in this sick place. Amen. Brother Ed said he heard on a public, public, radio? public radio some woman interviewed that said God is able to save this nation if we can find ten righteous souls in it. We like that woman just hearing those words. If we can find ten righteous souls in the nation, the Lord is the one that decides righteous souls. Right. Abraham said, Lord, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked when you burn up Sodom and Gomorrah? 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. If you find 10 righteous souls there will you spare the city? I will spare it for the for 10. A lot had a lot disappointed even Abraham. You know what that tells us? The next best thing we can do is to live a righteous life. You want to preserve this nation? Then you be the salt of it. You be the salt of this nation by being righteous within it so that God will spare it for you, your children, your grandchildren, because you are living a holy and a righteous life. You know that the perverting of judgment, the winds of politics and terrible legislation shouldn't move you because there's one higher than they. Ecclesiastes 5.8 Here's my concluding two points, very simple. Number one thing we ought to do, the most important polling place and the most powerful voting booth that you will ever enter is your prayer closet. If you want to turn this nation back or if you want to preserve this nation and the tranquility of your family, the most important polling place and the most powerful voting booth is your prayer closet. Go to the Lord and beg Him for this nation. Second, the most important political activity and powerful activism that you can engage in is living a truly righteous life. You live a righteous life and pray. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We have a lot of hope for the future. The Lord God of heaven is our Father. He's the King of kings. He's the Prince of the kings of the earth. He creates the wind. And so when you see it blowing to and fro, economically, politically, nationally, internationally, He's in charge of it all. Let's beseech Him for it. Stand with me, please. Thank you for your kind attention on this Wednesday night. May the Lord build faith in us and our children. Father in heaven, blessed God, creator of heaven and earth, who formeth the mountains and knoweth the thought of every man, we thank Thee that Thou hast created the wind and it blows according to Your will, that You raise up over men even the basest, And that you do it to whomsoever you will. And that you rule in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay thy hand or say unto thee, what doest thou? Thou art God alone and the Lord Jehovah reigns. We thank thee for thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the blessed and only potentate. And we put our trust in thee this night. Heavenly Father, we do not look to Republicans to save us nor Democrats to destroy us. We look to Thee for mercy, to save us and forgive us, our sins and the sins of this nation. We look to Thee to deliver us, and to preserve the tranquility and peace of our nation, this Babylon, that our children and their children, till the Lord comes, might be able to live quiet and peaceable lives in godliness and honesty. Heavenly Father, preserve our liberties, preserve our savings, preserve our jobs, Help us to be wise and prudent. We'll put our trust in Thee on the front end and the back end. Show us what we ought to do. Save us by Your mighty power as You have Your people in the past. We thank You for the little token of good that we saw last night. We pray that there might be more, but Heavenly Father, more than political change. We pray that there might be revival starting in our own hearts, our own families, and our own church, and then elsewhere across this nation. Hear us as we call upon thee. Our trust is in thee. You have delivered your people before. We know that you will deliver us in the future. And it's in Jesus' glorious name that we pray. Amen. Amen.